Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are back with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. Ariel Morazada. Dr. M is a board-certified urologist practicing in Beverly Hills, California. He specializes in men's sexual health and sexual issues and is joining us today to discuss vasectomy, vasectomy reversal, and its impact on sexual function. Dr. M, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much for the invitation to join, Mark. I'm excited. Of course. So to get us started, Dr. M, can you just share with our listeners just a little bit about your practice, what it, what it is that you do in your in your role as a you know, urologist and a men's sure. health? Sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, my area of expertise is in anything related to men's health and sexual dysfunction, a lot of testosterone management, erectile dysfunction management. I see a lot of guys with Peyronie's disease. Um, I do a lot of vasectomies almost every day in the office. And then occasionally I see patients who have had a vasectomy previously. And then for a variety of reasons, usually they get remarried or, um, you know, they, they have a younger partner now that they want to have uh, more kids with. We go ahead and discuss a vasectomy reversal with them as well. Okay. So that, that kind of gives us just like a helpful backdrop in terms of just what, what it is that you do. So to get us started on our topic at hand, can you just briefly describe to our listeners what exactly a vasectomy is and how does this work? Sure. So a vasectomy is a quick office-based procedure. It takes me about 15 to 20 minutes from start to finish. Um, you have the tube that carries the sperm from the testicle called the vas deferens. And so the sole purpose of the vas deferens is to carry the sperm from the testicle, place the sperm into the ejaculatory duct of the prostate before emission during ejaculation. Now, the majority of the ejaculate volume is actually coming from the prostate. What I tell my patients is that after a vasectomy, you don't actually notice a difference in the volume of the ejaculate because the sperm contribution coming from the testicle is actually a negligible amount. Um, so the vasectomy does not impact sexual function, doesn't cause any erection issues, doesn't lead to changes in testosterone, shouldn't cause any long-term testicular pain or discomfort. Um, I'm pretty meticulous as to once you find the vas deferens, which is just the tube carrying the sperm, we can separate it out from all the other structures. And that's what gets cut, clipped, and cauterized. Okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly, the, the bulk of the ejaculate you're saying is still going to be there because it's generated by the prostate. The sperm is just the, the, the active ingredient in fertility. Um, but taking that out really does not become a, should not become a noticeable experience um, for anybody who has had a vasectomy. Now, you mentioned that there is a cutting of this vas deferens and then it gets capped. So uh, I do three things in order to prevent sperm from continuing to be in the ejaculate. So I cut the vas deferens. So I actually remove a segment and I send it to the pathologist to confirm that we actually had removed the segment of vas deferens. So I cut a portion out. I put a small titanium clip on both ends. So the end on the testicle side and the end that is closer to the abdominal side, but a small titanium clip, it, it's an inert metal, doesn't go off in metal detectors. You can continue to get an MRI if you ever need one. Um, and it's just another way of essentially preventing any sperm, 
even if the tubes were to reconnect to prevent any sperm from actually migrating from the testicle into the ejaculate. And then the third thing I do, um, kind of my belt and suspenders technique, is to actually cauterize or burn the two ends of the vas deferens so they can't actually reconnect. So it's to, to minimize the risk of what's called recannulation. Okay. With all of those efforts, um, is it possible that it still reconnects? I know you have to be careful with like absolutes. Yes. So um. <laughs> um, there really are no absolutes in medicine and I would say very seldom in life. But uh, yeah, it's, it is still possible. Believe it or not, it can occur. You know, I would say maybe one in a thousand to one in 2000 men will eventually after a vasectomy, for some reason, they'll, they'll get a spontaneous recannulization and a reconnection, and they can potentially see sperm in the ejaculate. Um, that's why I, I always test the semen on my post-vasectomy patients twice. So one at about six weeks, one at about 12 weeks to ensure that if recannulization were to occur, it's typically going to occur in that period of time when the body is healing from the vasectomy. So I look to see and make sure that there's no sperm left in the ejaculate on those two samples. And Mark, one other thing I was going to say, a common question guys ask is, okay, if you're not ejaculating the sperm anymore, what happens to the sperm? It, or, you know, do the testicles enlarge? And I was literally just wondering the same thing. Does it spill out of this like loose end of the yeah. vas that's now clipped? So, what happens? So that's a good question. So, you know, I, I cut it, I clip it, and I cauterize the two ends. So you're not going to have sperm kind of spilling out of the testicular end. Um, and then what happens is if you imagine... Every day of a man's life, you're making sperm. And even these, you know, 90-year-old men in nursing homes, believe it or not, they're still making sperm every single day. But what ends up happening is this cycle of production. And then if you don't ejaculate it, it gets broken down. And then you produce more sperm, doesn't get ejaculated, gets broken down. So it's constantly, um, your testicles have this constant spermatogenesis or this creation and breakdown of sperm. Um, and it's occurring essentially every day of a man's life. That's why, you know, Guys like um, Hugh Hefner were having kids into their much later years in life. And it's for that reason. Yeah, because the body continues to produce. Exactly. It. Yeah. So I would assume that the primary reason why somebody goes through a, a vasectomy is for prevention of uh, un unwanted pregnancy. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, so, or are there other reasons why somebody might do um, this? I, I see two guys actually there's like three camps of guys that i see i see the guys who you know they have two three kids they're like i'm done you know my wife wants to come off of birth control or get her iud removed we're done having kids we don't want any accidents then i see some guys who they don't have any kids and they never want kids and they they tell me you know this is my way of ensuring that i will never impregnate anyone i don't want to have any kids and then the the third camp is um the guys that were married, got a divorce, you know, they want to, they're done having kids with their first marriage and, you know, they're in their later years of life and they don't want to have any potential accidents. So that's kind of the third camp of guys that I see. Yeah. But all, all three camps have a goal of preventing Correct. pregnancy. I mean, that is the primary yes, reason. To yes. Do this. That is the common goal. Okay. So um, I don't want to say anything like overly stereotypical, but you are out in Bre Beverly Hills. So I have to imagine that there are another camp of people that come in on a new or a second or a third relationship, even though they have once upon a time made a decision to not have kids, they may be with a younger partner um, who is fertile and is interested in having children. They may have a change of heart, which is where this question of vasectomy reversal may come in, yes, yes. <laughs> may come into play. So 
I don't know if you have had patients like that. I imagine that that has come across yes, your office. I, I have, I, I have, and I do have patients like that. So, you know, the typical vasectomy reversal patient, um, not to stereotype anybody, but it's, you know, a guy maybe in his fifties or even guys in their sixties, but um, typically guys in their fifties, they were previously married. They had kids with their previous partner. Um, now they have a you know a younger partner, younger wife. They want to have kids with them. And they might have had a vasectomy 5, 10, 20 years ago, and they're interested in getting it reversed. I, I tell patients, you know, the success rate of a vasectomy reversal is not 100%. Like I said, there are rarely any absolutes. The reversal rate is anywhere from 80 to 90% in terms of success. And that's, you know, seeing sperm in the ejaculate and eventually going on to achieve a pregnancy. And the success rate starts to diminish, I would say, every five years out from a vasectomy. So it's it's easier to reverse a vasectomy within five years versus reversing a vasectomy that someone had 10 years ago versus reversing one 15 years ago and so forth. And, and that is that is due to what? So several factors. Um, a lot of times the duration for which the back pressure has been built up in the testicle, sometimes you essentially from clipping and cutting the vas um, and cauterizing it, the testicle doesn't have any means to ejaculate the sperm. So there's a buildup of pressure in the testicle, and that pressure can cause the sperm producing cells to essentially atrophy or involute or essentially, you know, the tubules to kind of blow out, if you will, just from the pressure. So you no longer are actually producing the sperm. So that's kind of one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is no matter where you do the vasectomy, how high up, I, and I typically perform, you know, a higher uh, segment vasectomy because those are easier to reverse if you were to reverse them in the future. The thing to think about is you can have scar tissue building up in that vas deferens after a vasectomy, at which point it becomes much diff much more difficult for the sperm to be able to traverse through the channel. And when you think about a vas deferens, it's really the size of a angel hair pasta. If you think about something that small, I mean, the 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 odds of patency and, and it remaining open after, you know, a vasectomy that was done 15 years ago, it becomes much more challenging. Much more. And, and, and it's an angel hair size pasta with a, meaning it's, it's hollow. Correct? It's hollow. Yeah. So yeah. the inside lumen is hollow. And that's why a vasectomy reversal, for example, I'm using sutures, you know, stitches that are not readily seen um, by the naked eye. These are I mean, not to get into technicalities, but 9-0 and 10-0 sutures where typically when you're doing, you know, stitching up someone's, you know, skin laceration, you're using, you know, 3-0 or 4-0, which um, the, the the smaller the number, the bigger the gauge. Yeah. So that, that the, for such a, a, it sounds like a very delicate procedure, um, I would assume that, that this has to be done under like some kind of magnification or microscope oh, yeah. at the very Yeah, this is, so I tell guys, look, a vasectomy takes me about 15 to 20 minutes in the office. A reversal is about a four hour operation. You're under general anesthesia. I'm operating under a microscope um, and the sutures are very small and the movements are very fine. It's way easier to get a vasectomy than it is to put the pieces back oh, together again. Afterwards. Significantly easier. Yeah. It's just a completely different type of operation, really, because um, you're, yeah. you're, you're essentially trying to find the lumen or the opening of this angel hair pasta, and you're trying to sew those two ends together.
Yeah. I, I mean, again, I've never performed a surgery, nor do I ever intend on it in my role as a sex therapist, but it sounds highly intricate, highly delicate, something that even though with these like, like re relatively high rate of success of 80 to 90 percent, it sounds like a person should not bank on that. Like this is not like a 10 year like birth control hiatus that we're just going to easily. Reverse. Yeah, this, this is, is a very and, and I, intricate. That's process. a really good point you bring up, Mark. And this is something I always counsel patients on if they're, you know, I at this point, I'm a pretty good gauge as to if someone's pretty set on, you know, they're done having kids or they really never want kids. If someone's on the fence, like, oh, I'm pretty sure we're done having kids. I always tell them, listen, you know, consider banking sperm ahead of time. If you really want a vasectomy, just consider banking sperm ahead of your vasectomy. That's number one. Number two, you know, really consider delaying it until you're absolutely sure you don't want any more kids. And I explained to them, you know, vasectomy reversal, it's often not covered by insurance. It's a long operation. The recovery is going to be a little more challenging and um you know it's for the surgeon performing them it, it's not the easiest operation it's probably one of the most challenging that you know as a urologist that i perform so to that i know you got me curious um if a if a gentleman has had a vasectomy and isn't necessarily interested in reversing it is it possible to harvest um sperm that just isn't passing through the vas deferens in order to like impregnate a partner through IVF or through some other, um, you know, methodology other than um, like penetrative yeah. sex. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that absolutely is possible. Um, the thing with uh, sperm retrieval is once you go through the path of sperm retrieval and not doing a vasectomy reversal, sperm retrieval will necessitate assisted reproduction from the female side. So there's no way for a urologist to be able to harvest enough sperm to then be able to do kind of the turkey baster method called IUI, intrauterine insemination. Once you do sperm retrieval, you will need to then have the reproductive OBGYN harvest the eggs and then do the IVF where you then insert the DNA of the sperm into the egg and then implant the embryo into the uterus. Okay, but you're saying if, if the end goal is to achieve a pregnancy, um, there would theoretically be other avenues yeah. to go other than a reversal or if a reversal fails, there would be other ways. Exactly. To so that's kind of the backstop for if, God forbid, a reversal fails, you can do a retrieval. The thing to keep in mind, and this is, you know, part of a urologist training is you can do an epididymal sperm aspiration. But if you're going to eventually do a reversal or consider doing a reversal, you don't want to aspirate epididymal sperm because you can actually damage the tubules that then lead into the vas deferens. So you can do epididymal sperm aspiration. That's kind of one option. The other option is you can open the testicle and actually take sperm directly from the tubules. That's called a tessie or testicular sperm extraction. And then some guys where a tessie is ineffective or you're not able to find sperm, you can do what's called a micro tessie where you actually, under a microscope, you're finding those more plump and full tubules which tend to carry sperm, and then you give it to an embryologist, and they actually um, open the tubules and look for the sperm. Okay, so again, a lot of a lot of different ways to go about yes. doing this if necessary. Many but, um, so coming coming back to uh, vasectomy and vasectomy reversal, I want to ask you about each of these. So, what is the impact on sexual function, if any, of a vasectomy? So, typically, there shouldn't be any impact. You know. Um, I don't touch any of the arteries to the testicle. 
there aren't any nerves going to the sensation or even attainment or maintenance of an erection. Those nerves that run on the dorsal aspect of the top side of the penis. Um, so there really shouldn't be any sexual side effects. I, I, you know, some guys have, unfortunately, thankfully, not many of my patients, because I'm very meticulous as to dissecting the sheath of the vas deferens, which is kind of the outer covering. There are nerve endings in that sheath. And, you know, unfortunately, some uh, patients that get vasectomies by other providers, sometimes those providers are clipping the, the vas deferens with its sheath. There are nerve endings in the sheath, and that's what leads to chronic testicular pain following a vasectomy. So I'm very adamant about making sure that we tease the sheath off the vas deferens before cutting any segment or clipping any segment. So you can try to preserve those nerve endings. Exactly. To preserve the nerve endings and preservation of the nerve endings helps ensure that you're not going to get chronic testicular pain following a vasectomy. Okay. And, and, and again, like we've covered in this podcast in so many different ways. Um, even if there's no direct impact on sexual function, pain anywhere in the genital, you know, area or region um, can be enough to like tip like a psychogenic ED um, just out of fear of engaging in sexual activity or in triggering a further pain. So all these things could be relevant. But what I'm gathering from you is that for the vasectomy itself, there really should not be any direct impact on sexual function, whether that's ejac ejaculation or um, erections. Correct. Yeah. It shouldn't have any impact on ejaculation, the sensation during ejaculation or the volume of ejaculate. And on the same token, shouldn't have any impact on attainment or maintenance of an erection. Okay. Now, what about with the reversal? It sounds like, again, it's a much more uh, intricate, drawn out procedure. Does the, does the recovery uh, take longer and does that have potentially some kind of impact or effect on sexual function? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, not typically, no. Uh, the incision that's made for a vasectomy reversal obviously is going to be a much larger opening because you need to be able to deliver the testicle out through the scrotum and play it, you know, place it on the field and be able to perform the reversal. Um, usually I tell patients no intercourse for about a week, no vigorous activity for a week, and they're usually able to kind of ease back into regular activities. So um, it usually doesn't cause any undue stress on the patient or their relationship. And it's a fairly or relatively easy recovery. There's no, you know, anytime you get into the abdomen, that's when you tend to run into, you know, splitting the abdominal wall muscle for, let's say, a hernia repair or something to that effect. That ends up leading to a more prolonged recovery, whereas thankfully scrotal surgery is is not as bad or, or onerous for the patient. Okay, you're saying there should not be any long-term effects on sexual function. Correct, yeah, should not lead to any long-term effects. Okay, now... What are some of the most common concerns that you hear um, from men who are considering a reversal? So the most common concerns are what happens if it's not successful? You know, we went through this surgery, we spent all this money. What happens if it's not successful? Um, and I really just try and give the patient my guarantee that if this reversal is not successful, I will still be able to perform a retrieval either via aspiration or a TESI, which is the testicular sperm extraction um, for the patient, because the ultimate goal is to really help them achieve their goal of uh, achieving a successful pregnancy. And so 
there are ways to circumvent if the the rare case where the reversal is not successful that you can actually get in there and um, retrieve sperm by some means. That's okay. typically the the most common concern. Is that what if the what if the procedure is not successful? Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. if it's that's 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 the most common concern. Yeah, that you exactly. Hear. It's what if the procedure is not successful? Some guys say, you know, is this going to cause me to have ED? And then I go through kind of the anatomy and explain to them, this is very different. This, you know, the nerves are not even involved, very separate system. Um, just because we're operating down in that region doesn't mean that the nerves to the erections are going to be, become affected. Now, are there any specific psychological factors that you think a person should consider before undergoing a procedure like a vasectomy or a vasectomy reversal? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So, um, Last year, one of my partners had a really young guy. I mean, he was of legal age, above age 18, but still very young. And he said, you know, I never want to have kids. I want a vasectomy. I think he was about 20 years old. And he had seen two of my partners and they counseled him and they just didn't feel comfortable doing his vasectomy. They, my partner sent them to me, sent me the patient. And, um, you know, the patient had full capacity. He was you know, going to college, he said, you know, I've thought this through, I never want to have kids, this is not part of my life's plan. And, you know, I explained to him, I said, look, this is a semi, you know, relatively permanent uh, sterilization procedure, the vasectomy. Um, but ultimately, you know, he was able to demonstrate to me that he had full capacity, and he was, you know, fully informed of what he was uh, planning to do. And we went ahead and did his vasectomy. Have you ever encountered like an unexpected psychological impact post vasectomy or post vasectomy reversal? You know, that's also rare, but I have encountered it. Um, it's some degree of, and this is, you know, I'm a God fearing man. I'm, I respect everyone's religion. I, I think it was more of like a religious guilt um, that this one patient had that he had the vasectomy and then he felt it wasn't kind of part of the natural plan for him in the scheme of the universe. And he actually elected to have a reversal a couple months later. So it's rare. And that's something that you obviously want to counsel patients on and, you know, talk to them about it. But sometimes patients come in, they say, hey, I'm adamant about doing a vasectomy. And then you don't find out about this kind of guilty type of feeling until much later. You know, I've, I've encountered a number of situations of people who, um, went ahead and uh, scheduled a vasectomy without discussing it with their partner and then had deep regrets. These are the kind of things that show up in my office mm -hmm. um, or um, have gone ahead and scheduled and gone ahead and through, uh, did a vasectomy when they themselves were not sure if they were done having, they, they were like good with the amount of kids that they had, but their partner was, and then they like subsequently developed like a psychogenic ED. Oh, I see. Um, so I've seen some interesting situations where, again, it's a very, it's a very interesting psychological space because it is a decision in many instances, it's a decision made by two people um, that are not always necessarily on board in the same type of way yeah. about it, which right, can create some just relational and interpersonal tension um, that I've, I've been able to see spill over in my office, both in terms of just relational tension and also sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so definitely something I want to bring to everybody's attention as well. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, Mark, the relationship, um, or relational tension is something I've seen as well. You know, sometimes the, the, 
wife brings the husband in or makes the appointment for the husband, kind of drags him into the office. He's there, doesn't ask any questions, doesn't make eye contact. You can really see kind of in those instances who's putting the foot down and saying, I'm done having kids, we're doing this. And obviously, I, I never force anyone to have anything done. And it's really just making sure that everyone's on the same page. And then on kind of the flip side, there have been some instances. This is what one of my mentors told me during my fellowship um, at UCLA. He was having the wife also sign the consent form because there was an instance where one of his partners actually got sued because did a vasectomy on the patient. The wife didn't know about it. She found out, sued the doctor, saying that he performed this procedure without fully informing both parties in this marriage. So he was actually having the wife sign all of the vasectomy consent forms as well, in addition to the husband. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if, if, this, if the doctor was found liable. I would imagine that would be a very um, highly uh, litigated case <laughs> because there is you know, individual patient autonomy. Yeah. But I think that the, the, the point that you're raising, which is like really, really important, is that a lot of times these are relational decisions. Correct. And it's a procedure that's being performed on one person in that relationship. And there are times where... Again, men are doing this like without their partners knowing about it. There are times that men are being, like you said, dragged into the office <laughs> to have the procedure done. And um, even if even if everybody has signed the consent forms, there's also like that psychological consent form um, that we don't really have a good way of getting somebody to actually put their physical signature on. Uh, but I know these things can have uh, psychological ramifications. Um, the other point that I would uh, mention to our listeners is, you know, like, from a like an evolutionary standpoint, there is a, a hard wiring to procreate. It's part of our survival. Correct. And I think for some people, like the notion that they are aware that they are severing that part of themselves, so to speak, can have other psychological impacts. Um, it can feel emasculating to some men. I've heard them describe it that way. They just don't feel as viral just by just by by very just by just by knowing that that part of them just they couldn't do it if they wanted to in those moments. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just like a very layered experience for some people. And I think for many others, probably for the vast majority, they're in and out within that 15 minute window and they're on with their lives. Yeah. Um, but just, uh, I think it's a, an important thing to kind of consider um, in, in these rare instances. I think this can run pretty deep psychologically for some Oh, people. absolutely. Yeah. I, I've seen that. And I, I think it, that typically manifests as to some degree as chronic testicular pain or scrotal pain following a vasectomy very rarely but occasionally it's not necessarily related to clipping of the sheath with the nerve endings and then when you dig kind of deeper in there you realize there's some psychological component to you know the vir virality or virility i guess is the word virility that the the man feels as though he's done something potentially irreversible to his manhood kind of with the overarching theme of manhood so yeah that's definitely a you know, something I've encountered and I know my partners have encountered it as well. And, and a lot of this comes down to just counseling and, um, you know, just coming up with a, a game plan to approach every patient the same way. Yeah. yeah it kind of makes me uh, just curious to think about, like, if, if there are studies out there about a before and after comparison of partnered sexual activity when it comes to a vasectomy or a vasectomy reversal. I'm curious to know if there is some, like, you know, metadata out there about if those rates increase, decrease, or stay the same? Yeah, you know, I'm actually not 
familiar with any metadata or like a retrospective analysis of that. Um, I'm sure if I dug into PubMed, I could probably find something. But yeah, I'm not aware of anything. I'm going to poke around myself. Okay, Dr. M, this has actually been a fantastic conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Do you have any final words that you would want to share with our listeners who might find themselves either considering a vasectomy, potentially considering a vasectomy reversal? Any words that you think would be helpful for them to know? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, make sure this is something you've you've fully thought through. Um, And just remember, a vasectomy is a fairly straightforward procedure. You're in and out, should take... You know, I do it in about 15 to 20 minutes. Shouldn't take that long of a period of time. And, you know, if you're on the fence, just delay it. If you're on the fence, consider banking sperm ahead of time. And then, uh, you know, if push comes to shove, you know, a couple years down the line, if you want to get it reversed, it's also possible. But, um, you know, don't dissuade, like, don't dissuade yourself from doing a vasectomy uh, just because of the fear. It's, it's a very straightforward procedure. I do the scalpel-free technique and um, patients tend to be pretty comfortable. I have them play their own music and uh, we keep the atmosphere very light. Okay, well, once again, Dr. M, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Look forward to hosting you again on the podcast for another topic in the future. I look forward to it, Mark. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.